0: Are you ready this morning? Yes. Okay. Maybe I should ask you that after the message. We're going to talk about everybody's favorite subject today, sin. Yeah. So would you open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5? We'll finish off the chapter. I was telling Terry yesterday, I just couldn't figure out where to cut this thing off. We're going to take a big bite today looking at verses 13 to 26, but for the sake of continuity, we need to look at the whole thing uh, together. Now, last week we mentioned, we turned a corner in our study of the book of Galatians. We had been covering the issue in great detail and with great care of justification apart from the law. We're saved by faith, not of works, lest anyone should boast about being worthy of being saved. Now, Paul switched gears and started to segue into the subject of what the Christian life really looks like. And the subject matter became not justification, but rather sanctification. The word means to be set apart, to have a distinction between the life you used to live, who you used to be, and who you are now because of Christ. Now, Paul made this point in Galatians 5 too. Indeed, I, Paul, say to you, that if you become circumcised, remember he said, if you get circumcised, you're obligated to keep the whole law. He said, and if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you what? Nothing. Nothing. And then he would say to Titus in 3 this is a faithful saying. And these things I want you to infer, affirm constantly that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain what? Good works. Good works. These things are good and profitable to men. Excuse me. We made the point last week that if good works are profitable to men and circumcision makes Christ unprofitable to you, that means good works are distinct from keeping the law. Now, therefore, those who are pushing what's called antinomianism today, meaning there's no moral code for the Christian to live by, belief is enough, you don't need transformation, you don't need sanctification, you don't need any of those things, there's no moral standard for the Christian to guide themselves through life by. It's actually a non-biblical position. As a matter of fact, it's anti-biblical because the Bible talks about transformation by the power of the Holy Spirit throughout the whole of the epistles and even in the gospel record. Paul would say this to the church at Thessaloniki in 4, 7 to 8. For God did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but who? But God. In other words, to say that holiness is not part of the Christian experience is to reject God. But God who has also given us this holy, uh, his holy spirit. Now, uncleanness means moral impurity. and We'll find it listed amongst the works of the flesh this morning in our text. Now, I know like most of you, I was thinking about Newton's third law of motion this week. Now, you know what it is, even though you may not know that that's what it's called. But you can say it and quote it with me. Every action has an equal and opposite reaction. And therefore, this is what's true about uncleanness. It has an opposite, and that opposite is holiness. And this is important to note because if we are able or required, really, to maintain good works, then we're going to need to know what they are. Hello? Yes. Now, I'm, I want to visit Ephesians a couple times. First, I want to isolate this verse and then look at the whole other context later. But in Ephesians 2.10, we're told we are His workmanship. In other words, God made us. Created in Christ Jesus. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, we're told that we are new creations. Old things passed away. Behold, all things become new. That's what's in view here. We are handcrafted by God for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk or live according to them. Now in Hebrews 10.24, we're told, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works and peter will say in 2nd peter 2 11 and 12 beloved i beg you as sojourners and pilgrims strangers in this world because we're citizens of another city amen? amen he says as sojourners and pilgrims abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul having your conduct honorable among the gentiles we need to pause there for a moment and recognize that in the old testament a gentile was a non-jew In the New Testament, a Gentile is a non-believer. So we are to have honorable conduct among non-believers. Hello. That when they speak against you as evildoers, which they do and are doing today, they may by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. Now, we are created in Christ Jesus for good works. We are to stir one another up to love and good works. Good works are to be observable and evident to others, even evildoers. So, what are they? There's no to-do list of good works in Scripture, so we have to take what Paul wrote at the church at Thessaloniki as our model, in that uncleanness and holiness are opposites. Now, while we don't have a list of good works, we do have a list of bad ones, which means we can arrive at good works being the opposite to them. Now, in 1 Timothy 6.6, 6, Paul said, Godliness with contentment is great gain. Now, the uh, Greek word for godliness is a synonym for holiness and can be translated as such. The Greek term, if you care, is eusebia. And that gives us our title today and we're going to talk this morning about it. Here's our title, The Great Gain of Godliness. The Great Gain of Godliness. Now the word gain implies acquisition and what we have acquired when we come to know Christ is going to be evident to others in the form of good works or sanctified living or in a word we could say godliness. Now there's a myriad of people out there today who cry foul, at any mention of good works saying, you're talking about legalism. You're trying to put people under the law. Well, let me just say this to them. Whether you believe repentance is part of the gospel message or not, your life is going to be better when you live for God instead of yourself or the world. Amen. Living for God is the best way to live life, no matter what your zip code may be, even though it's better to have a good life in 73 degree weather. Laughter We'll just leave that alone this morning for our dear friends in Texas and elsewhere. Now, what we have gained in Christ is eternal life in heaven with him and good works on earth to glorify him. There's no better way for anyone to live than to live for God. This is the great gain of godliness. So let's see how Paul describes it and defines it to a church that was fighting amongst itself and having battles over the law of grace. Now, As far as format, Paul's going to start with an admonition, and we will too, or an exhortation, if you will. Then he's going to move to their education on sanctification, and we'll follow that pattern as well. So would you stand this morning, and let's begin by reading his admonition in verses 13 to 15, and then we'll start the message in verse 16. You didn't catch that, I guess, so. Galatians chapter 5, pick it up in 13, read down to 16 so 15 I'm sorry for you brethren have been called to Liberty only do not use Liberty as an opportunity for the flesh but through love serve one another for all the law is fulfilled in one word even in this you shall love your neighbor as yourself but if you bite and devour one another beware lest you be consumed by one another father we are grateful for your word this morning thank you Lord that you have taken time Uh, in your word and inspired your authors to tell us of the things to stay away from. And you've done so for our own benefit, that we might live a life that is uh, described as a blessing and also one that glorifies you. So teach us not just what to do, but the importance of doing so and not doing so. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Now Paul says in verse 13, listen, we have been called as Christians to a life of liberty, talking about the fact, as he has for four plus chapters, that we are not under the law, we are not obligated to the restrictions and dietary aspects of the law, feast days or anything else, and certainly not to circumcision. But he says, now don't let that liberty be used as an opportunity for your flesh to dominate your actions. And thus he is warning against that antinomianism, believing there's no moral code for us to live by or living like there's no moral standards because we are saved by grace through faith, even though we are, right? We're saved by grace through faith. It's not of works. Now, he says, don't let your liberty create fleshly behavior, which he's going to define at least in part here in a couple of moments. Now, Peter again will say this in 1 Peter 2, 15 to 16, for this is the will of God that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free, yet not using liberty as a cloak or a covering or even a justification for vice, and we'll talk about vice and virtues later, but as bondservants of God. Now this is important because Peter, writing on the same subject, tells us the subject was not an issue that was limited or specific to the church of Galatia, nor is it limited to the first century. I personally believe that just as justification by faith was the primary issue that the church at Galatia was dealing with, I believe sanctification is the most important issue that needs to be dealt with within the church in the 21st century. Now we're going to deal more thoroughly with this issue in a few moments, but Paul then moves on to the responsibility that we have to one another. We ought to serve one another in love. Because even the law and all its restrictions and observances and feast days and all the other things, Leviticus 19, 18 said that we are to love our neighbor as ourselves. Now, I think Paul helped us understand this in Romans 14, 1 4, where he said, receive one who is weak in the faith, or a young believer might be implied there, but not to disputes over doubtful things. For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat, and let not him who does not eat judge who, him who eats. For God has received him. Who are you to judge another servant? We're all God's servants, right? Yeah. To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him To stand and of course you know we got the issue of meat sacrificed to idols and all those other things that people are waging war over or were uh, in paul's time and he addressed this in detail both in his letters to corinth and rome we have a battle raging today as to whether or not we should eat at five guys or in and out (laughs) the answer is clear five guys is the better burger there's no doubt about that and Crazy thing happened. I said that at first service. I said that at first service. And then this brother that goes down and witnesses every weekend at the Huntington Beach Pier with Ray Comfort says to me after the service, Hey, Ray said to say hi and he gave you this. And he hands me a gift card to in and out of all places. So.
1: <laughs>
0: Paul's saying, Hey, don't get all hung up on these kind of things. Don't be fighting over silly stuff. And what he says to the church in Romans, or, or in the book of Romans, is listen, not that we're to accept anything and everything done and believed by anyone who calls himself a Christian, but what he's saying in Romans and to the Galatians is listen, when there's a matter involving someone's maturity spiritually or a matter of interpretation, he says, hey, treat other, uh, one another with love. In other words, treat others when they may be wrong or misguided, Like you would want them to treat you. Isn't that the golden rule? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. you. Some would say it's do unto others before they do unto you. But that's not the golden rule. Now, Paul's letter to the Galatians tells us that this must be at times strongly and aggressively done. Remember, he called them fools twice. Oh, you foolish Galatians. He even said they were bewitched, kind of being pushed around by the the tactics of witchcraft. But then later, we found his motivation. He called them his little children because he loved them with a parental type love. And this is how we deal with one another. And here he says, listen, if loveless infighting is how you're going to spend your time, it's going to consume you instead of loving and serving one another. Now, This is his admonition. We're not going to draw a conclusion from this section because it speaks for itself. Don't let being out from under the law lead you to living in lawlessness and treat one another with respect and love. And this is part of the great gain of godliness. So let's start our message this morning. You ready? 16 to 18. I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh and these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, Paul says, instead of being consumed with biting and devouring one another, he uses the Greek word peripateo, walk or be occupied with or make forward progress in the Spirit, and the lusts of the flesh are not going to be fulfilled because these two things are contrary or opposites of one another. Now the tense of the verb walking, for walking, implies constancy. It even implies some consistency. In other words, we need to keep walking in the Spirit every day, not just on Sunday. Every day, all day. Now the fact that he says if we keep walking in the Spirit, We will not fulfill the lust of the flesh also implies that as we walk in the spirit, the flesh is going to want to walk right along with us. And interestingly, he says it will try to hinder us from doing the things we want to do. Now, we often think of lust as doing things we ought not to do. But here Paul says lust can keep you from doing things you ought to be doing. Uh, Weights and sins that so easily can beset us would be in view or keeping us from doing and serving each other in love and certainly serving the lord this is what our flesh often tries to infringe upon and therefore we need to walk in the spirit all the time and paul makes a very important statement in verse 18 where he says if you are led by the spirit you are not under the law now there's a lot of verses that get partially quoted And the context is left out, therefore the whole meaning is left out. Uh, John 3.18 is one of those in particular that um, Christ didn't come to condemn the world. You know why he didn't come to condemn the world? Because it was already condemned. The world didn't need somebody to condemn it. The world needs somebody to save it, and that's why Jesus came. Now here's another one of those famed uh, out-of-context quotations. Romans 8.1 and 2 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus is there a period or a comma after that there's a comma meaning there's more to the thought here's the rest of it who do not walk there's a qualifier according to the flesh but according to the spirit for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death The Bible uses the phrase, the law of liberty. So there are things we ought to do and live by as born again believers. Amen. Amen. Now, if you are led by the spirit, there's no condemnation from the law of sin and death. And to be led by the spirit requires that you have the Holy Spirit. How's that for a no brainer on this Sunday morning? And to have the Holy Spirit, you have to be born again. And that's how you acquire the Holy Spirit. That's one of the great gains of godliness that, that leads us to godliness. Now listen, what we're going to say as our first point of observation is exclusive to born-again Christians. So let me clarify that before we say this, because there's two battles raging in the world. One is for uh, the unsaved and the other is against us. Now here's what we need to recognize from what Paul is saying. Our battle against sin is not for our souls. Our battle, born-again Christians battle against sin, is not for our souls. The battle for our soul was won at the cross. Jesus paid it all. All to him we owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed us white as snow. Satan was defeated as prophesied in Genesis 3.15 on the cross of Christ as the one who would be the seed of the woman came, lived a perfect life, died a sinner's death rose on the third day, ascended after 40, and is seated at the right hand of majesty on high, living daily as intercession for you and I. We have been born again, and the Holy Spirit dwells in us. And yet the contrary nature of our flesh lusts against being led by the Spirit and tries to hinder us from doing the good we, ought, we know we ought to do, as James says. For him who knows to do good and does not do it to him, it is... Sin. Can we lose our salvation? Absolutely not. There's no unregeneration doctrine taught in Holy Scripture. And as we said in the intro, the best life is a life lived for the Lord. And the contentment found through godly living is one of our great gains. Now, the whole of the context of the verse we quoted earlier in Ephesians is this, in 2, 8 and 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So again, we are his, God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. We should walk in the things God has called us to walk in, right? We should live according to his will and word. Now, he says to Titus in 115 to 16, to the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But even their mind and conscience are defiled. They profess to know God, but in, what's the next word? In works, they deny him being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. Now, to walk in the works prepared beforehand is part of having been saved by grace through faith. The unbelieving are disqualified from every good work and we might view these things as the things that really matter. Let me remind you of something. The most important thing in our lives that we could do is lead people to Jesus. Amen. There's nothing more important than that. It's more important than your job, your car, anything else. It's more important than pandemic. It's more important than our health. It's more important than anything. So we ought to be all in for leading people to Jesus. Amen? Amen. Now. Can non-believers do that? Well, God could speak through a donkey. Okay, he did that once. So let's not use that as our argument, okay? Now, there's another element of this that I know to be true personally, and I know it's always been true because of David. David, confronted by Nathan the prophet over his sin against the Lord with Bathsheba. He said this in Psalm 51, 12. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit isn't that a wonderful phrase a generous spirit god is generous listen god is generous with his holy spirit but he's not careless with it now david the man after god's own heart had lost the joy of being the man after god's own heart and he was asking the lord to restore it now in first john 3 7 to 9 we're told by john the beloved little children let no one deceive you he who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. And then he tries to be politically correct where he says, he who sins is of the devil. For the devil, do you believe that? Where did you go? Do you believe that? Yes. yes. Now, for the devil is sin from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, because sin is of the devil, and so are those who practice it, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whoever, say whoever. Whoever Whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he's been born of God. Anybody here sin since you got saved? Okay, you're out. You're going to hell, right? No, that's not what that means. And this is a very, very important passage. The phrase does not sin doesn't mean Christians never sin. It means Christians are not content to continue in sin. They have happened to them. What happened to David? David blew it. David blew it bad. And remember when he was confronted by Nathan, he didn't say I sinned with Bathsheba. He said, I sinned against the Lord. And so he asked the Lord that he sinned against to restore what he'd lost because of his sin. Now, he never lost the status of being the man after God's own heart. He lost the joy of being the man after God's own heart. And that's what we're talking about here today. Now, the other element of this battle between flesh and spirit that we need to recognize, Paul covered in 1 Corinthians 9, 27, where he says, I discipline my body and bring it into subjection. We'll talk about this in our last section. Lest when I have preached to others, I myself should be what? Disqualified, Paul says, this is why I live the way I live. This is why I live controlling the lust of the flesh in my own body, because I don't want to be disqualified of preaching to others. Now listen, as a former prodigal, I can bear witness this morning that there is no more miserable Christian than one whose actions have disqualified their witness. It's a miserable place to be. You lose your joy. The Holy Spirit is grieved and thus so are you and your words about Jesus fall on deaf ears because of how you live your life and your witness is damaged and your words disqualified. And as a prodigal, I remember spending days striving instead of thriving and that is not what God has for you, and that's not what God has for me. This is why, and by the way, when I was a prodigal, it wasn't a week ago Tuesday. It was about <laughs> like 35 years ago, so this, this is not a recent testimony. I came home a long time ago. Maybe you need to come home today. Amen. I encourage you to do so if you're in that category. You see, this is why we have to walk in the Spirit, because falling into the lust of the flesh for the Christian has too many consequences, even though none of them are eternal. We can't lose our salvation. And as Christians, our battle is not a battle for our soul. Jesus secured our souls on the cross. Our battle is against sin so we can have joy. Our battle against sin is so we can be effective. Our battle against sin is so we can not be disqualified from the good works God has prepared for us to walk in. It has nothing to do With obtaining salvation. It has everything to do with living out our salvation for God's glory, our lives being blessed, and His name being exalted. Now, I'm not going any further until somebody says amen. Now, Paul moves to defining what the works of the flesh are. Now, this list isn't exhaustive, but it's pretty close, at least in the sense of major categories. So let's look at 19 through 21 and talk about sin for a few moments are you ready now the works of the flesh are evident which are adultery fornication uncleanness lewdness idolatry sorcery hatred contentions jealousies outbursts of wrath selfish ambitions dissensions heresies envy murders drunkenness revelries and other stuff and the like of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, read this out loud with me, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, the first thing we need to point out is that good works and the works of the flesh are, or good works like the works of the flesh are evident, meaning they're outwardly visible. So the good things we do, are to be done outwardly and they will be visible to others, just like the works of the flesh. Now, we could well say that the inward impurity that Paul wrote to Titus about is going to be outwardly visible and manifest itself in the list of things, at least in part, that we just read. Now, as far as categories, some commentators, and most of them have broken them down into similar categories that would be listed like this. The lusts of the flesh or the works of the flesh are sexual sins, religious sins, interpersonal sins, and social sins. Now, before we say another word, we need to establish that it is the practice of these sins that identifies someone who is not saved, who will not inherit eternal life. It does not mean that if a Christian falls into any of these things listed here, they've lost their salvation. Because sin in our battle against it is not about our soul, our soul was secured by Jesus. Amen? Amen. The Christian is not, however, content to continue yes. in the works of the flesh because they have the Holy Spirit. Yes. Now Christians may do these things yes. though they shouldn't. Yes. Christians may do things that they shouldn't do, but listen, if someone says, "I'm a Christian," and they are content to continue in what the Bible clearly identifies as sin, or they dispute with the Bible's definitions of sin, let me say that again, or they dispute with the Bible's definitions of sin, the truth is revealed about their spiritual status and that their claim of being a Christian is false, even though they may call them Lord. Isn't that how Jesus concluded the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon ever preached in Matthew 7, 20 to 22? Did he not say, in that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we have a whole lot of Christian activity in our lives? Didn't we do this and do that, cast out demons, do all kinds of stuff? And Jesus will say to them, depart from me. I never knew you. Why? Because you lived without any moral code. You who practice what? What's it say? lawlessness those who preach and promote antinomianism or to say there's no standard for the Christian to live by again not for obtaining salvation but to express the finished work of Christ on the cross in our lives Christians do bad things but Christians are not content to continue in those things now practice means to perform uh, perform repeatedly or unrepentantly now in Romans 1, 28 to 20, uh, 32, there's a digression, a moral digression that begins with challenging God as creator, moves to sexual immorality, and ends up here. Romans one twenty eight to 32, even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. Is that going on today? We live in a time, very sadly, where many in our country want to take God out of the Pledge of Allegiance. We don't want it to be one nation under God anymore. I got good news for you. It doesn't have to be in the Pledge for it to be true. Amen. We are one nation under God because he sits over the circle of the earth. He is the authority over all creation. Nobody can dethrone him. He can't be voted out of office. And listen, by the time we get to heaven, there'll be no politics. Amen. Now, he says, they didn't like to retain God in their knowledge. So God said, here you go. Here's a debased mind. You want to live like this? Go right ahead. And you will do things that are not fitting and be filled with all unrighteousness. Now, unrighteousness is now defined as and including sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God, or knowing that God has defined these things as wrong, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also what? What's the next word? Approve of those who practice them. Let me just say this this morning. No Christian ought to be voting for a political candidate who is pro-choice. God is a God of life. He is the giver of life, the sustainer of life and the one who gives eternal life to all who believe in him. God is pro-life if anybody ever was. We should not be supporting candidates who believe that biological chromosomal males ought to be participating in women's sports because that tells us there's something wrong with a person who thinks that. I saw a picture on social media. You know, I spend all my time there. There was a college women's basketball team where there's some scraggly looking dude who's probably pushing 300 pounds and six foot ten, I don't care you'd have to be'd be, have to be some let me just say this you'd have to be stupid to say that's a girl.
1: <laughs>
0: and yet here this guy who's this much taller than every other girl on his team is being touted as a woman because he's trans, and I thought this is, this is kind of sadly funny, all the other girls are welcoming him, or all the girls I should say are welcoming, welcoming him with big smiles. You know why they're welcoming this 6'10", 280 pound guy with big smiles? Because they're going to win. <laughs> Listen, this stuff is just crazy going on today. We don't support that kind of stuff. We don't approve of that type of thing. God said, listen, there's two genders, male female. That's the end of the list. And there's nothing else. Now, you know, we just live in a time where, well, what, what about their feelings? Well, what about it? What about their feelings? Listen, we live in a time where nobody can be messed up anymore. There's messed up people. There always has been. Right? Well, God's in the business of taking messed up people and fixing them up. That didn't come out, but sick. fix them up. <laughs> How about just fixing them? Yeah, yeah. Amen. Aren't you glad he fixed you? Yeah. You were messed up. That's what Colossians 1, 21 and 22 say. Once you were alienated from God and enemies in your mind because of wicked works, but now Christ through his physical body through death has presented you holy in a sight without blemish and free from accusation. Man, that's some good stuff. Amen. Yeah. You were messed up. God fixed your problems. He is good and gave us the mind of Christ. Listen, Romans says that those who did not like to retain God in their knowledge are going to have evidence of their inward decision outwardly. And he says the same is true of those who approve of evident sinful behaviors. Now, take the list of character flaws in Romans, add it to our list here, and you have a pretty good definition of sinful behavior. Sexual sins, religious sins, interpersonal sins, and societal sins. So... Do you want to know the things we should not do as Christians? Hmm, Four of you do, the rest of you will put on the prayer chain. What's up with that? Do you want to know the things we ought not to do as Christians? Okay, category one, sexual sins. They're called adultery, fornication, uncleanness, and lewdness. These are all forms of sexual activity outside of the male-female marriage relationship. And God has ordained that that is the restriction of the boundaries to those who can have sexual activity as a part of their life. We'll talk about more, uh, more about those who reject that, those boundaries uh, here in, in the second hour of our message. Now, these are works of the flesh and they need to be repented of. <laughs> Whatever. So... Now, religious sins are idolatry and sorcery. Idolatry is just worshiping or putting anything before God as the top priority in your life. Now, sorcery comes from the Greek word. I'm sure we've all heard it, pharmakia. And during the first century, it was often the practice of pagan religions to use drugs to enhance the spiritual experience. But it was not a positive spiritual experience in that there was demonic uh, activity associated with it and all that. And this too is a work of the flesh. Now, we don't need, I've, I've had people sit, I've heard it many times But I had somebody sit across from my desk in my office one time and tell me, I can understand the Bible a lot better when I smoke a joint first. <laughs> I'm not even going to say anything else except that's stupid. Now, we have a list of eight interpersonal sins that follows. And these are super important because they're all happening right now. The list is hatred, contentions, jealousy, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambition, dissensions, heresies. Now heresy is not strictly related to departures from sound doctrine as we'll see in a moment. Envy, all of which have a negative impact on society and may I remind you we as Christians are to have a positive impact on society. In other words, we are to bring to society exactly the opposite of all these things. The opposite of hatred is love. That's why Paul started there. Now Hatred is an interesting word. Now, I want you to dial in, especially you young people here this morning. Listen, hatred means enmity between groups. Is there any of that going on today? Enmity between groups. Contentions means groups at enmity, fighting with each other. Jealousy means to view others in a negative light. And this would include racism. Is that going on today? Absolutely. Absolutely. To view others in in a a negative light. Outbursts of wrath means fits of rage. Selfish ambitions means to think only of yourself. Dissensions means to cause sedition or undermining others. Heresy, not just a departure from sound doctrine. It means by definition to create disunity, division, and to live in spiteful jealousy. Is that happening today? No. No. The societal sins are murders, which means to butcher others or slaughter others. Drunkenness is pretty self-explanatory. Revelries means carousing. The word can also mean rioting. So amongst the works of the flesh are rioting because of enmity against another group. Is that ringing any bells here today? Now, listen. Here's the thing about being spirit, filled and led and the contrast with the works of the flesh. Here's something we need to recognize today. The Holy Spirit will never, say never. Never. The Holy Spirit will never lead us to do things that later require repentance. The Holy Spirit will never, say never, never. Never lead us to do things that will later require repentance. And the liberty we have in being saved by grace will lead us away from all these things, not to them. And listen, if we move in that direction, we'll lose our contentment, even if we fall into them temporarily or for a season. And if we defend them or continually practice them, it is potentially evidence of not knowing the Lord at all. And Psalm 36, 1 to 5, the psalmist King David says, An oracle within my heart, something God divinely inspired, concerning the transgression of the wicked. There's no fear of God before his eyes, for he flatters himself in his own eyes. When he finds out his iniquity and when he hates, the words of his mouth are wickedness and deceit. He has ceased to be wise and to do good. He devises wickedness on his bed. We might say even his dreams are abhorrent. He sets himself in a way that is not good. He does not abhor evil. Your mercy, oh, listen to this. Your mercy, oh Lord, is in the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. Our nation has lost its way. But we need to remember our nation is people. And our nation's people have, by and large, lost its way. But listen, God is merciful. Remember we talked about quoting partial verses, or verses out of context? Uh, I think the last count was (laughs) 72,348,562,000 times. I have seen 2 Chronicles 7.14 quoted on social media or elsewhere. And the quotation is that, If we call on God and pray, he'll he'll forgive our sin and heal our land. Is that what it says? No. If my people, not the pagans of the world, but if my people, called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn, what's that symbolize? Repentance. And turn from their wicked ways, then... I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. Listen, what that says is we got no business participating in riots and sedition and all those other things. We are to be any nation's best citizens and we are to stand for and promote good. Amen? Amen. Now, our nation has lost the fear of the Lord, like David said. There's no fear of God before their eyes. He says they flatter themselves in their own eyes when they find out about their own iniquity. In other words, they say, oh, yeah, the Bible says I shouldn't do that. So what? Who cares? Is that happening today? Hello. Yeah. Well, here's the solution. Acts 3.19. Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of what? Refreshing uh, may come from the presence of of the Lord. Listen, our nation is seeing hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders and rioting because they are walking in the flesh and not led by the spirit. And listen, we are the salt of the earth. We are the light of the world, and we are to stand in moral purity and to stand against evil and promote good. And we do that by walking in the spirit. Now, times of refreshing will only come when people repent. (laughs) I knew the amens were going to get weaker and weaker throughout the day when we're talking about sin. Now, for you and I as born again, Jesus-loving Christians, the Holy Spirit will never lead us to do things we'll later need to repent of. And listen, if we got there, we got there on our own because God doesn't tempt anyone. Even though this happened maybe 15 years ago, it's something I just, I'll never, I don't think I'll ever forget it until I go to heaven and God gives us a new memory. Thank the Lord, amen. Amen. But I had a guy tell me one time that he left his wife after 28 years and married another woman. And he said this, listen, if God didn't want me to marry her, then he shouldn't have brought her across my path no she should have been able to cross your path and you not be stupid enough to disobey God you see that's what being led by the spirit is you don't follow your wandering eyes and mind and all that what was he doing? he was blaming God for his sin well if God's in control he should have known better well God is in control and he did know better you're the one who blew it amen now God doesn't tempt anyone right now, we have just seen what the flesh wants to lead us into. Now, let's see what the Spirit and the great gain of godliness will lead us to. You ready for this? Yes. Here's some good stuff. Let's not talk about sin anymore. Okay. Okay. At, at least not till the end of the message. So. Now, 22 to 26. Let's finish off here. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is, say it out loud, no law and those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires if we live in the spirit let us also walk in the spirit let us not become conceited provoking one another envying one another now the first thing we need to mention is that the fruits of the spirit and the gifts of the spirit are two completely different things in 1 Corinthians 12 4 11 we're told there are diversities of gifts but the same spirit there are differences of ministries but the same Lord There are uh, diversities of activities, but it's the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the spirit, to another a word of knowledge through the same spirit, to another faith by the same spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same spirit, to another working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another interpretation of tongues, But one and the same Spirit works all these things. We read all that to get to this. Distributing to each one individually as He wills. God has given each of us gifts of the Spirit. And the Lord distributes them according to His will. Now that means you don't need to go to a school of miracles to know how to perform them. But it does mean if God didn't give you that gift, Going to a school of miracles ain't going to help you at all. Because those who can perform them are those God has given that gift to. Amen? Amen. Now, here's the point. There are gifts, plural, of the Spirit. There is fruit, singular, of the Spirit. And the reason we need to establish that is that the fruit of the Spirit is not distributed in the same manner as the gifts of the Spirit. And the fact that it's presented in the singular means we're all going to see the same manifestations of the Spirit, even though we're all going to see different manifestations of the gifts of the Spirit. Now the nine fruits of the Spirit are opposite of the works of the flesh, and therefore their outward manifestations will be too. The Spirit will never lead us to things that later require repentance. Oh, you liked it better earlier. The Spirit will never lead us to things that later require repentance. Now, what he will lead us to is this. The first is love. The Greek word is actually agape. We call it agape. And it's the same kind of love God has for us. It's a supernatural deep love, different than eros, the sexual or sensual love, different than phileo, uh, the familial love. It's distinct from all other forms of love. And it's the kind of love that God has, and he gives it to us. The next is joy. Joy is an, listen to this, joy is an inner rejoicing, not dependent upon circumstances. That's the definition of joy. An inner rejoicing, not dependent upon circumstances. Then he gives us peace. That means, get this, and think back to what we talked about, about what the works of the flesh are. The word peace is quietness and exemption from rage. Quietness and exemption from rage. We can go through all the things we're going through and not rage. That's why I think it was very interesting to see a peaceful protest from one particular party and then riots and burning down from another group. Listen, we are to be a people of peace, amen? Amen. Even when we protest, even when we stand as salt and light. Long-suffering means forbearance under provocation. That simply means that we can put up with a lot of things that are being said against us. Kindness means excellence in moral character and demeanor. Goodness is uprightness of heart. Faithfulness means a constancy of profession. Gentleness is meekness and humility. And here comes the grand finale. You ready? The last of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. Now the phrase literally means temperance. Figuratively, it means to master one's desires, passions, and sensual appetites. Now, Paul says, there's no law for you to be concerned about violating when you walk in the fruit of the Spirit. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its sensual passions and desires. In other words, crucified means exactly what we think when we watch the passion of the Christ. And as we are now approaching Uh, the Easter season and the wonderful things we'll remember and uh, commemorate that Christ has done for us. But figuratively, the word crucified means to subdue selfishness, to subdue selfishness. Now, these things don't mean that our sin nature has been eradicated or rendered inactive, but that the judicial aspect of our sin nature has been satisfied by Jesus' death on the cross. And that means, listen, Victory over sinful passions and desires has been provided through Christ's death, the time in the tomb, his resurrection and ascension, and is seated at the right hand of majesty on high as our intercessor daily. And we need to lay hold of this by faith and act on this truth daily. And Paul says, since we live in the spirit, meaning since the spirit lives in us, let us be led by the spirit. He would tell the Romans in 6, 8 to 14. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for everybody he likes. Once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore... Do not let, do not let, there's self-control, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey its lust. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness, defined in Romans 1, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members, meaning body parts, as instruments of righteousness to God. Listen to this. For sin shall not have dominion over you, For you are not under law, but under grace. Now, since the unrepentant practice of the works of the flesh identifies those who will not inherit eternal life, we can assume that the works of the flesh and sin are synonymous. And we are not to allow sin to have dominion, meaning rule or authority over us. So here's our takeaway, and I'll let you go. Listen this morning. Walking in the spirit is a life of power and authority. Walking in the spirit is a life of power and authority. The works of the flesh and walking in the spirit are opposites. And that means that walking are, are the works of the flesh are signs of weakness and subservience to what the enemy wants us to do. And thus, this will result in conceit and envy that leads to provoking one another... As the end result. But Paul said in Romans 8. We are not debtors to the flesh. To live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh. You will die. die. But if by the spirit. You put to death the deeds of the body. You will live. For as many as are led by the spirit of God. These are the sons of God. Listen. You don't have to sin if you don't want to. You have the power, the authority of all of heaven, in the personage of the, the third member that God had, the, the triumph Godhead, the Holy Spirit in you. That's why John the Beloved would say in 4.4 of his first letter, listen, you have overcome the world because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. The strength of power, the strength and power and the authority that gives us self-control is no less than the Spirit of Almighty God. He doesn't lose battles. He doesn't have close calls. He doesn't get pushed around by the devil. The devil is not his evil equal. And that's the same spirit that dwells in you and I. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in you and me. Now, did I say I was wrapping up? still thinking about it. Let me just say this. I have to say this. I have to get this in this morning because it's rampant. The children of God do not defend or promote sexual sins. Was that a whispered amen I heard out there? (laughs) The children of God do not defend or promote sexual sins as the Bible has defined them. The children of God do not say it's culturally acceptable for homosexual sin to be practiced within the Christian community. The Bible says otherwise. The child of God does not promote or practice religious sins, like believing portions of the scripture that you agree with, or saying that all religions are equal and valid because people believe them. No child of God defends interpersonal sins, including... Hatred manifested in enmity between ethnic groups. Racism is not welcome in the body of Christ. Because it leads to these groups fighting with each other like we see today. Viewing others in a negative light. Causing fits of rage, sedition, sedition, and disunity. These are works of the flesh. Works of the flesh are sin. Sin needs to be repented of in order for times of refreshing to come. And times of refreshing is one of the great gains of godliness. Somebody say, Amen. 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 Father, we are thankful for your word this morning. Thank you, Lord, that you inspired your authors to take the gloves off now and then and just tell it like it is. And so we're grateful, Lord, that there's no muddiness, there's no murkiness as to what his behavior that will bring glory to you and blessing to us. And Lord, we recognize that we have this lifelong battle until we're glorified and perfected and given those bodies that are like that of Christ as Philippians 3 promises, the transformation of these lowly bodies as the, uh, the predestined body of the glorified state is given to us. But Lord, we recognize that there are those today who are being taught otherwise within the walls of places called churches. So we thank you that we have your word. And Lord, we think about churches like the one this past week that said, the Bible is not God's word. And Lord, we thank you that your word has proven itself to be otherwise. The inspired and holy word of God on every page. Lord, we thank you that we don't need to look to culture and changing tides of opinion to find out what the truth really is. Your word stands fast in the heavens. It is unchanging and immutable, just like you, the Son, and the Spirit. So Lord, help us not to be bullied in these last days. Help us to stand fast, doing all to stand, even if we stand alone. Help us to stand for truth, because only truth can make people free. Even in a time where they understand that you have said things are wrong and they choose debased behavior instead. Help us, Lord, to keep speaking the truth in love. Keep coming at them so that others might be saved. We thank you also, Lord, that you welcome the prodigals home. And I pray if there be any here today who've wandered, even if the wandering is mental, Lord, that they would have the mind of Christ and come home back to the Father's house and therefore will and experience the refreshings of repentance. So we thank you for these things. And we thank you that you are a God of mercy and that they are new every morning and great is your faithfulness. We bless you. We honor you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen.